Thanks be to God. It's so good to be back. Um, I happen to miss you. I was gone for 10 days on a mission trip that you sent and prayed for me uh, to Southeast Asia. And uh, just so thankful for the church and just for all that we get to enjoy. Please let us never take for granted all the things that God has blessed us with here. Uh, we're going to continue in this series, and I'm going to combine it with a missions report today. But for now, it'll be projected overhead. It'll also be pr- uh, printed in your Bibles. Let's turn to the book of James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 20 and 24. James, chapter 2, verses 14 to 20 and 24, it's entitled, Real Faith Works. We're actually getting right into the heart of this letter. This is probably one of the main theses that James wrote. Let's give our full attention to this. I'll read it for us. Verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That faith apart from works is useless. And James gives an example of Abraham, whose faith was demonstrated in being willing to sacrifice his one and only son. Faith works. And then we conclude here in verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. It's about the third or fourth message in the book of James. Been hoping and praying that it is active and living, that we become doers of the word, not just hearers of it. Real faith works. So, can you say the gospel? Can you describe it? Can you tell me the gospel? What is it? Well, the Bible tells me I was... Handmade by God, but left to myself, I I live my entire life as if I made myself, and I'm still trying to make a name for myself. Sin is a whole way of life in which you want nothing to do with God. I was handmade by God. I feel like I'm still trying to make my own name and a life for myself. Sin is wanting nothing to do with God, but God. But God came after me through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to live and to die for me so that he can get me back. And if and when I or anyone in this room turns in repentance and puts his or her faith in Jesus Christ, God will have your back and love you and forgive you As if you have never done any wrong. That's the gospel. It quite simply is the greatest life-changing news you could ever embrace. 
So can you say it? Can you tell me the gospel? Are you ready to share it? Now, this is not what James is interested in in this letter. James actually doesn't explicitly say the gospel. He does not directly and clearly tell us the gospel. In fact, James is not even interested if you could say the gospel. What James is interested in is, can you show me the gospel? The point of this letter is not, can you say the gospel? The point of this letter is, can you show me the gospel? Show me what the gospel does. Show me. Does it work? Does it make any difference? What are its fruits and results? You know, Martin Luther, that great reformer, rejected this letter. He had tremendous trouble with this letter. He thought it shouldn't even belong in the Bible. But uh, this is why books like James and every part of the entirety of the Bible is essential. Because if you're a Christian believer, you are malnourished, you're deficient, you're incomplete. You're misshapen until the whole of the word of God or the whole gospel takes over. And what is James's contribution to the gospel? It is this. Can you show me what the gospel does? Apostle Paul's emphasis throughout the entirety of his letters is a man or a woman is justified by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, not by any works of the law. Amen and amen. That is true. Nobody will ever get right with God except by faith alone, not by my own works. But then James comes along, and here's what he's adding. That saving faith, which makes you right with God, that faith never stays by itself, but it works. Or else it's dead. Or else it's dead. I think I could put it in this way to ask you these questions. How many of you in your heart of hearts have the agenda to be barely Christian? Do you know what I mean by that? Whose business here this morning is it for you to become a comfortable Christian? A halfway mediocre Christian. Like, just barely Christian? I want to tell you, Jesus never taught that. James never teaches that. I don't know what world you're living in until the word of God breaks through, but comfortable Christian just don't go together. Yes, indeed, becoming a Christian, a child of God, costs you nothing because it costs Jesus everything. All you need is need for Jesus. That's called grace. And you get salvation and a new life and a new identity in Jesus by faith alone. But again, the question that James wants to ask is this. Is that initial faith, which makes you justified in God's sight, makes you a child of God, is that initial saving faith for real? Is it alive or dead? Is it static or dynamic? Does it have power or is it impotent? Does it change you? Oh, let's put it this way, James would say. Does saving faith have visible 
results in fruit? Or does it always remain invisible? So, James is trying to spell out, while faith saves you, that same saving faith always works to sanctify you. While faith alone gets you loved and covered and adopted and forgiven by Jesus, that same initial saving faith always works to make you more like Jesus. It's counterfeit Christianity for anyone who thinks or says or feels, well, Jesus loved me so much, I can just go do whatever I want. And there's a lot of that here in L.A., Oh, my friends, be sober. Please check yourself. There's a lot of that in so many churches today. Jesus died. He lived for me because he loves me so much. I can just live any way I please. That's a counterfeit Christianity. That's a false gospel. Do you know what real Christianity always says? Because Jesus loved me. Because he gave up his life for me. Because he would love me to the point of death. I want to do whatever he wants. Counterfeit Christians say, I'll do whatever I want. Real Christians always say, I want to do whatever he wants. So Christianity is the one religion that never tells you to work for your own salvation, but it does tell you to work for your Savior. Christianity is the one revelation, the one movement that tells you, you can do nothing. There is no work you can do to forgive yourself. But if you know a Savior who can forgive and love you like this, for the rest of your life, your heart will beat and be moved and motivated and sustained with the love for your Savior. You'll work for Him. So the answer, the visual to the question, does real saving faith work? Show me what the gospel does. James gives us the answer. You don't have to guess. It's in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I'll read it for us once again. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. If we could show those verses, please. James 1, verses 26 and 27. There are three elements. There's three visuals to real faith and how it works. Number one, control of your tongue. It controls your speech and conduct. It controls what you say and how you behave. Visual number two, care for orphans and widows. Care for orphans and widows. You are about justice. You do have mercy. It does make your blood boil over rampant injustices and inequality. Economics change. There is a newfound compassion that comes forth. Third element, keep oneself unstained from the world. Keep oneself unstained from the world. Does real saving faith work? You bet it does. It'll change your speech and conduct. It'll change your compassion for the least and the most marginalized. Third, it'll give you integrity, character, purity. You know, interestingly enough, speech and conduct, that has to do with community. Number two, care for orphans and widows is about compassion. Third, last but not least, keep yourself unsafe from the world is Christ-likeness. There you have the three pillars of the vision and the dream that this church was founded upon. 
And James is going on to say again and again and again in different slices, different angles, different ways. He just doesn't want you to get away with it. He wants to dismantle this whole notion that, well, I believe, I have the right beliefs, that should be enough, I must be okay. The whole point of James's letter is to dismantle the entire notion that it's enough to believe and have the right beliefs because faith all by itself actually does not save because in verse 19, James gives us this explicit example. Even the demons believe what you believe. I mean, you do know that, right? You do know demons are very orthodox. We do know that the devil can quote the scripture. We do know that demonic evil forces know what the right things are for you to assent to and believe. James goes on to say, demons also have an emotional reaction to it. They shudder. They freak out. They can cry. They might tremble if Jesus showed up. And James is going on to say, faith all by itself, that never works out, is not a true and saving faith. That faith will always work, always work, always work. And what does it work out? In your speech and conduct, in your care for orphans and widows, and third, keeping oneself unstained. Oh, so friends and family, I'm so happy and thrilled that you sent me off for about 10 days with Pastor Owen over at Christ Central Presbyterian Church of Virginia, and I got to visit Vietnam and Cambodia to visit and to serve and to learn and to be so blessed with our missionary partners and friends. I got to give credit where credit is due. Most all the pictures and videos are from Pastor Owen, none other. He's a professional videographer and photographer. Thank you. And I also felt your prayers all the way throughout up until this day. I usually don't travel too well. But this one was a different trip of sorts. Thank you. Back in Cambodia now, one of the first places we visited was a village at a church plant that was begun. Next picture by missionary Luke Smith. I'm sure you can take a guess who Luke is. And they asked me for a message and a sermon. And I got to preach there that day on Sunday. It took about a three and a half hour trip one way. And here's a little snippet of their church plant during worship service. The next video, please. From the opening songs, which I heard in which I heard such earnestness and joy. I was choking back tears. And this was a snippet in which all their youth joined together to recite none other than the Westminster Shorter Catechism in Kamai. It was a lengthy service that went run maybe about over two hours. And I will never forget this new fledgling church plant in a village in which they didn't have electricity until about several years ago. Luke Smith went in there, and of course he was not alone to do this tremendous work. Here is Soka next to me translating the sermon that I gave. She's Cambodian, 
Luke was a single young man, <coughs> single young man from Indiana. Met Soka, fell in love. They got married. They have two adorable kids. And she probably was one of the better translators I've ever been able to work with overseas because every joke I made, everyone laughed. <laughs> they laughed more than usual. So obviously, she adorned and beautified the sermon much better than I gave it. I also found out that the entire worship team up front, keyboard, guitarist, singers, she trained them. She learned music on her own. I think all married men, if they're married and they're good men in, in, in ministry, I found we all married way up. Because she's also the one that translated the Westminster Shorter Catechism into Kamai. After the sermon was done, I asked missionary Tim, how in the world is Soka's English this good? And he told me it's because she grew up in an orphanage. You talk about God being able to use and redeem anything. Luke and Soka, as we said farewell, we were able to pray for them after a lavish lunch that they offered to us. There are their sons, Asa, their oldest daughter, Hannah. We went into the city in Phnom Penh, and one of the ministry places we got to visit was a building that was uh, serving as a family clinic. Family clinic right there in Phnom Penh, partners with Paul and Tim, and they're part of the Mission to the World MTW team under the umbrella of the PCA, the denomination. Next picture, you have a picture of the staff here. Mark Ambrose up to the far corner left. Used to have a medical practice in Chicago. Dropped it, sold it, not at a good price, to come all the way over to Cambodia with the dream. There towards the front middle is that radiant smile, a Cambodian doctor by the name of Nara kind of in that darker greenish blue right there near the front. They have partnered together. And not only do they offer quality, legitimate drugs from the United States of America at a good, fair price, one of their main missions happens to be to treat and help young girls who have been sexually trafficked. My understanding is that Phnom Penh, along with Thailand, is one of the two epicenters of the world in underage sex trafficking. Owen and I were able to actually minister to someone and pray for a gal who had been staying there. She was not obviously sick, but something was going on. And of all the stories that Mark shared, which I will not get into detail here at the Sunday Sermon Pulpit, but he did share that one particular gal who he treated consistently over a year's period of time. Because this isn't just working with STDs. We're talking about broken bones. We're talking about maimed bodies. We're talking about psychological and emotional trauma that probably most of us would never, never want to experience. From ages 8 and 9 and 10. And as he ministered to this one gal, she dared not speak with him once over the entirety of the year because he is a strange foreign white man. After the year came to a close, she dared to ask her very first question. These are the first words that came out of her mouth. Mark, why did you come to Cambodia? And medical missionary Mark promptly answered, because Jesus told me to. The girl came back and asked, well, what did Jesus tell you to do? And Mark answered, to care for you. 
And after he told her what Jesus had told, to do, told him to do to care for her, she, she opened up, started to share her whole life story. And now as a result, they become friends. Mark Ambrose and Nara, serving those who have nowhere else to turn, but thank God for a family clinic right in town. I really like how Dr. Mark described his ministry as. He says, we're like a door stopper. Meaning, we keep the door of the church open. We make the door of the church inviting. We want to make the church attractive. And how true that is. That throughout the entirety of the Bible, those who get to speak and share the gospel cannot do much without those hand in hand who are doing works of justice and mercy. And right here at home, my friends, make no mistake, how you do your jobs, how your neighbor, how you coach other kids, how you behave at the PTA, how you greet and welcome and invite newcomers here, especially at the Life of Christ Central, how you pursue justice and mercy, make no mistake, are the very things that God promises to use to make the gospel open, attractive, and inviting. I thank God for Mark Ambrose and Nara and the entire staff and the fundraising that God has blessed them with. And I will never forget and hope one day to work for or work with and help them once again. The next picture is once a month, missionaries, four families and two national partners with their kids get together once a month and they kind of readjusted their schedule because Pastor Owen and I were in town and they just could not wait to have worship service together. Together, They come from the villages and different parts of the city. This is under the umbrella again of MTW, Mission to the World of the PCA. And you'll see in this next picture how Pastor Owen... Our dear friend and brother over at CCPC was asked to preach. And I know my friend pretty darn well. I don't know many other personalities in the world that might be more effusive, expressive, encouraging, passion-filled. But I did tell him after he preached and was able to serve communion, I thought he was never more genuinely passionate and spirit-filled. And I think that might be the case because worshiping God is a communal event. It's a communal dialogue. For Pastor Owen to sense the eagerness, the actual palpable ache that missionaries have, that once a month they finally get to sing songs in English, read the Bible in English, hear Bible studies and sermons in English, and be together and relax and be themselves with other missionary partners is precious to them. And what Owen and I think is the very littlest we could do, which is preach and serve communion. All we could tell was that it meant so much, so much, more than we could have calculated of being able to give the word of God and communion in our first and most familiar language. I used to frequent China several years ago, went every year and Gone to a lot of short-term trips. Uh, before I was married, I lived a year overseas, over in Croatia, right after the Balkan Wars. And 
Much of my objective in past short-term missionships has been, Harold, what can you do? What can you do to work with the missionaries? Try to not get in the way. Don't try to burden them. Just tell me what to do, oh missionary, and I'll do it. And so much of my objectives, as well as our summer mission short-term support teams, is missionaries, just tell us what to do, and we're going to do it. Because we want to work for you, and we want to work with you. But this trip took on a different complexion. Where Tim and Paul and so many other missionary partners started to share with me and Pastor Owen, he said, you know what we long for most sometimes? It's not so much you would come here and do a lot of things for us or with us. Can you come here and can you just pastor us? Can you come here and teach us the Bible and shepherd us? Because so often we are busy doing ministry, being poured out for ministry, and there is an ache in our hearts and in our families of how much ministry sometimes we need for ourselves. The next picture is of the family whom we support, Tim Lim, his wife Munsuk, their only daughter Irene, the final night. And this trip made me feel like I was living out some, just a little bit of the New Testament where Apostle Paul writes several letters, and if you're familiar with his letters, in particular to young Timothy, his disciple, he says, Timothy, come visit me soon. That's in the Bible. Paul says, just come visit me soon. Get here as quick as you can. That's because Apostle Paul is a normal, red-blooded, full flesh and blood human being. And of all the ministry requests that he had sometimes was, I just miss my friends. I miss my deepest, longest, dearest gospel friends. And so over many, many meals, a lot of drinks and a lot of reminiscing and a lot of catching up and a lot of traveling and a lot of laughing and a lot of confessing and a lot of praying and dreaming, what Owen and I thought was we had so little to bring, man, actually meant so much to the missionaries we get to support. Uh, If you ever wonder what uh, missionary directors and Theology professors and pastors talk talk about like all the time. On the one one, one uh, on that van van ride down to, a, if you took a tape recording or you took your iPhone out and recorded us, the most common words you would have heard is "loser," "you're a dork," "why am I friends with you," "go get a life," and another term of affection, which is from the movie Tombstone, "lunger." Hey, lunger, just a term of affection. And you may think, wow, there's nothing noble or spiritual there. (laughs) By the way, that's what pastors and missionaries sometimes talk about. And we talked about bad dates in the past and how militant we were and militaristic in past missionships as well. You might think there's nothing noble there, but I will tell you down to the last man and woman after our trip, they all shared, he said, when the stress is this high, when the toxicity is this high, to have true gospel friends with you can come down with, be able to share with, be able to eat over a meal and be completely yourself and safe with is an entirely different kind of ministry called friendship. 
So this next picture was a really tough goodbye. Owen and I had just lost it. I had bawled my eyes out at this point at Phnom Penh Airport. And I think for several reasons, I, I think I lost it because uh, Tim and some other missionary friends have been asking me for uh, close to eight to ten years, you know, Harold, can you come out? Can you come out? Can you go, please come visit? And uh, I've always used the excuse, I'm too busy here. Uh, they've asked, can you just come and minister? And I dreaded the flight. I literally dreaded thinking about having to go over there. And our final prayer meeting at the curb of the airport was my apology and regret. And I got to see in about 10 days how dear friends of mine who serve as missionaries overseas, that in the middle of February, it's hot and humid. There's mosquitoes. Can't imagine what July is like. Good luck to our short-term trips. When you drive, you're playing chicken all day. People do not drive there anything like here. You go onto opposite traffic, incoming traffic, oncoming traffic, you just say, who's going to blink first? Marriages are stretched and stressed to a point where you're going to feel it's completely out of control. I don't know if I'm going to get it back. Missionaries have the same fears that we do about health and safety. They have the same fears that parents do about, is my kid going to turn out okay because my kid has no Christian friends? Will my child ever belong to a normal church in which they can understand the gospel in their own language? They have frustrations like you and I. Ministry never goes exactly according to plan. And they do get fatigued as well. Really, really exhausted and tired. Both of these gentlemen have been there about 9 to 10 years each. You combine that with the constant stress and anxiety of fundraising. You have other missionaries that you have to get along with. Team dynamics seems to be one of the greatest reasons why missionaries don't work out. Then you have the sheer loneliness and isolation. Then you have days and days and months on end sometimes in which you feel ineffective. Not doing a good job. People aren't coming to your English classes. People aren't bearing fruit. And even if you do happen to do well at home or in ministry, there is the reality of spiritual attack and warfare. And oh, it was tough to say goodbye because... I realize my friends overseas need grace. They need friends. They need a church. Their children need something, a program for them, and all the above. But as I was leaving, my respect and honor and appreciation exponentially grew for the missionary partners that we get to serve and work with. I know most of you don't know this. Before I was called to Sweetos Presbyterian Church, Sonny and I were assessed for three days without kids. An assessment is a 360 kind of examination recommended for all pastors because I thought I was going to church plan in Washington, D.C. But my original passion and calling after my dad had died was to become a missionary in Asia. And at the 2006 assessment, after they looked us up and down and 
somehow passed us. They took us aside and said, hey, well, what about Asia? Maybe not church planning in D.C. What about Asia? And they took a uh, look at a young Sonny and a young me, and Tate and Elizabeth were three and one at that point, and they said, uh, no, we don't really advise that. Looks like, Harold, you're a really young husband. Looks like you've got a very young wife, and you've got a lot of stresses and things to take care of at home. Don't go overseas, but you sure can church plant. Ever since that point, I'll never forget that the best I can do now is to support the missionaries that I do know and to somewhat live vicariously through them. But I will wrestle to this day with Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus did say, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few, strategically speaking. And that is something that I'll continue to wrestle through with you. Let me just close with two things as to how CCSE can do better, show better for the sake of global missions. Close just with two things of how CCSE can better show and do better in our work with our missionaries overseas. Number one, Paul Lee went around when he was fundraising and says, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Oh, you know how much I need your prayers. Paul confessed, I didn't really mean that. I just wanted to make sure I got enough fundraising. Now that he's been overseas for 10 years, he says he has come to actually breathe and feel and believe that the prayers of people is the most powerful thing he could ever get. And oh, how I concur. Missionary Paul now really believes and feels that the prayers of people is probably the best thing we could ever get. Or else, they just won't make it. It's that simple. It's that simple. You think about, oh, it's so hard for me to even stay in one small group for two years. It's hard for me to stay at one local church over two, three years. Out there, there's no other options. There's no escape hatches. There's no other roads to take. You're stuck. And if you can't stay, you'll leave. Oh, how our missionary partners overseas need our prayers that they would be strengthened in the inner man and the inner woman, that they would be encouraged supernaturally speaking, that they would think right thoughts and have the right eternal long-term perspective, that they would be protected from discouragement and despair from within, that they would be forgiven and repent from sin, not stay down, that they would not give in to despair or even to the evil one. How they need and desperately need our prayers. Missionary Tim, just the day after we had left, texted us this little message. How kind of him to Owen and myself. Hey guys, we just had our team meeting. We start the meeting with great stories that we share with the team. Without any prompting on my part, a couple of the team members shared about you guys as the grace that they receive from God. There's been real visible fruit from your short visit. We all want you back. It just ain't me, but the whole team wants you back. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that they would want us back. And by the way, I asked these two gentlemen, hey, how is our Christ Central summer team? Really, let me know. How are they doing? Paul first said, they're the best. They are the absolute delight. 
They're the teams that I look forward to the most, along with Christ Central in San Francisco. But you see, Paul, I don't know too well, and he actually seems very godly. I think he's too nice. So I turned around and talked to Tim. Tim, Tim, break it down to me. How is our Christ Central summer teams doing? Tell me anything wrong with them, any critique. And he actually got teary-eyed. He said, you guys are the best. You guys are the best. I want to thank you for doing that. And Tim went on to say how long they minister and minister for others, but how much they long for ministry for themselves. So in a couple months, you know, we get to send our very own. We should send our very own, our brightest and best, David and Susanna Nam, with Eden and Owen and Avery. They're going to go off to Taiwan. And how will we send them off? What's the very best thing we can go or do with them? Our prayers. The second thing that we can better show, just as Tim and Paul said, you keep coming back in person. Just keep coming back in person. If you can go, go. And see a whole new world because global missions is God's show and tell of what the gospel does. One more picture here. Fell in love with this little gal by the name of Hinley. Sarah Chong took the creative liberty to compare this girl with someone else I know. Little Elizabeth. Oh, the resemblance is striking. Hinley actually to the left has the very same pajama Elizabeth used to wear. How adorable. But whether or not we, they looked alike... <laughs> And in fact, my wife thinks that the father and I look alike too. She contrasted the pictures on a collage. But the father, of course, is a lot less handsome than me. She put the Cambodian version and the Korean version. But it is striking how everywhere we get to go in the name of Christ, when you meet a fellow Christian, you just get amazed. Wow, God's family is global. It's familiar. You feel closer right off the bat. And it's forever. It's forever. There's a young man by the name of Orkea who came to believe in Christ and believe in the gospel and follow Jesus to this day. He works as one of the worship leaders at Redemption in Christ Church in Phnom Penh. He received a scholarship to attend school and also became part-time staff with this missionary team. Again, became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, through the village church that Luke and Soka planted, and now he's serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And he sang this one little song for us that I'd love to share with you. Next video, please.
is a great story of grace. Luke admitted that when he first met Orkay, he did not like him at all because he was just flirty, flirtatious with all the girls in English class. That's true. All worship leaders, you should watch out for them. <laughs> Thank God he met someone. He's about to get married soon. And he's my brother. He's your brother. That girl, Hindley, is my daughter. She's your daughter. We have hundreds and thousands of brothers and sisters scattered throughout the world who ache for grace, Jesus Christ, his word, and his spirit, and there's so many more to come. So I want to thank you, church, for praying for me, supporting me, sending me out there. Session and I will really deliberate moving forward how we can better shepherd our missionaries as well. But all glory and thanks be to God. Hope you get to pray, and if you can, Go in person. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word. We ask, O oh God, that as your gospel comes forth, that it would bear all the beautiful, tremendous, genuine fruit in our lives, for the gospel's advance, for your glory, for our joy, for the life of many more friends and families to come throughout the world. We thank you, O oh Lord Jesus for being this good to us that we get to share about a good Savior. Hear us, we pray. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.